0: We're good? You happy to be in church tonight? Awesome. You enjoying this warm weather? Well, not today, but the last couple of days? It's been good. All right, so tonight we're going to be looking at our fifth and final part of the book of James. Over the last five weeks now, we've been looking at the book of James, going through each chapter once a week. And so tonight we're coming to chapter five. And James is one of those books which, you know, each chapter is just as hard-hitting as the previous. You know, James is a bit of a, it's, it's the ouch book. Um, He doesn't hold back any punches. He doesn't try and sugarcoat it. He doesn't try and, you know, soften it up so that we'd receive it. He just tells us some hard-hitting truths. He speaks it out as he wants to say it when we want, you know, as he wants to say it and, you know, what we need to hear. I love how Simon put it a few weeks ago. Simon said his words were sharp, as sharp as a two-edged sword, alluding to Hebrews 4 verse 12, where it says his words, you know, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. James knows that while these words are direct, while these words are hard, while these words are sharp, he's deliberately doing that so that they can get into our innermost being, so they can cut between soul and spirit and get to the innermost part of us because he knows that if something can get into the innermost part of you, if something can get deep into your heart, then it can truly change your life. It can truly bring, around, bring about change and transformation. And the overarching message that James is trying to portray throughout his whole book is that if our faith is genuine, if our faith is real, if we truly believe what we say we believe, then this should impact every area of our life. This should impact every area of the way that we live, the way we talk, the way we act and interact with each other. This is why when you read the graphic behind me, it says a faith that works, not a faith that says, not a faith that thinks, not a faith that doesn't work, a faith that works, a faith that is so radical, so significant, so transformational that when it gets a hold of your life, when it gets into your innermost being, then people should be able to look at you and tell there is something different about you. You talk differently. You act differently. In fact, you even hold yourself. You carry yourself differently. There's a different atmosphere around your life. James is saying that our faith should be able to be distinguished by the way we live, the way we act, and the way we speak. When Jesus says, you'll be known as my disciples by the way you love one another, this is what he's talking about. James says in chapter 2, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do not by faith alone. We are shown to be right with God. Who are we showing? We're showing the world. We are shown, because we actually know that it isn't actually by what we do that makes us right with God. It is actually by our faith. When we believe in Jesus, when we accept what he did on the cross, that puts us in right standing with God. There's nothing else we can do, nothing else we can say, but we are shown to be right with God by the way we live and we act. It's that out of that inner transformation that takes place, our lives reflect that this is not just a faith that you can keep to yourself not a faith that you can bottle up this is not a faith that only affects you this is a faith that is alive and powerful and out of that inner transformation our lives should reflect that so before we jump into the final chapter of the book of James I want us to have a look back at the other four chapters we've already covered over these last four weeks and just refresh our memories a little bit because one of the things that has stood out for me about this book, when you read through it, when you listen to the way that James talks, is that James seems to be concerned for the church that he's writing to. He seems to be concerned for the people that he's writing to, the people scattered around. He's concerned that they're going to compromise on what they believe when the going gets tough. He's concerned that the way they are holding themselves, the standard of living that they know they need to be living at, will fall by the wayside when things get Hard When life gets hard, when they start facing opposition and oppression, oppression, that the standard of their living will drop. That as things get a bit tough, they will allow the, they'll allow the way that the world acts and the way the world talks to influence them again. And they'll start going back to some old behaviors rather than holding to biblical truth. And I think this is still relevant for us today. Because it's really easy to serve God when life is easy. It's really easy to serve God when life is going well. It's really easy to be generous when we have a healthy bank account. It's really easy to serve on a team and sign up to a roster when we're not busy. When we don't have assignments due. When we don't have exams around the corner. It's easy to do those things. I know in my life, to take a more practical example, I am a really patient driver until I have somewhere to be. I'm a really patient driver when I've got nowhere else to be. But the minute I'm running a little bit late... Or the minute that um, I'm tired, I've had a long day, and I just want to get home to my couch, and there's traffic jams, or someone cuts me off, or it seems to be the case in Christchurch, no one knows how to use their indicators properly, I find that when those things are the case, I'm not as patient and as good of a driver as I should be. And it's like that with God, I know that I am far less patient with people, I'm far more, far less loving with people when I don't have a good relationship with God when those things aren't going well, when I, you know, it's much easier to love people, be kind and compassionate, when I'm spending time with God, when I'm reading His Word. And so what James is concerned about is what happens when those things aren't going well? What happens when you don't have a good bank account? What happens when life isn't going well, when you are busy, when you are tired, when you haven't spent that time With God. James is reminding us that those external factors cannot determine the kind of faith that we live. Those external factors can't determine the lives that we live, the influence we have, the impact we make on the lives around us. He says in chapter 1 Hey, look, I know life is getting hard right now. I know some of you are getting thrown into prison. Some of you are getting killed. But when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I know life's getting hard, but you can make it through. He goes on then in chapter 2. Hey, look, I know it's really easy to just spend time with the people you like. I know it's much more comfortable to just be around those who you're familiar with, but we're called to be an outward-focused people. We're called to be inclusive, to create a space of belonging. And remember, if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin you're guilty of breaking the law. In chapter three, he says, hey, look, remember, I know that you love to gossip. I know you love to talk about other people. I know that your language is much easier to be negative. But remember, your words have power. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing That makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Remember, your words have power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And in James chapter 4, which we looked at last week, he says, look, the world will try and tell you to put your trust in material possessions, put your trust in the things you can accumulate, put your trust in your finance. The world will tell you, you can do it all in your own strength. You just have to look out for number one. If you be selfish, life will go well. But James says, hey, remember, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. He will provide you everything you need. Remember, those things are temporary. Those things are here today and they're gone tomorrow. You can't place your trust in material confidence. Your confidence comes from God. And Bryden told us, you know, love is selflessness. Selflessness. And we find true strength when we draw near to God and humility, draw near to him and he will draw near to us. So this is a brief overview of what we've sort of looked at over these past four weeks, these past four chapters. That faith is not just some abstract concept that we believe in. It's not just some idea that we hold to, but it has a big effect and impact in our world and our lives. So then this brings us to the final chapter in the book chapter 5 In the first half of this chapter james addresses people placing their trust in their material possessions placing their trust in their riches and he's saying you know remember those things are temporary they can be here today gone tomorrow he then goes on to highlight what he said in the first chapter about being patient during suffering enduring through trials and making us enduring have that perseverance to get through The next few verses then go on about the power and the importance of prayer. And in fact, prayer is what enables you to live the kind of life that James is talking about. He qualifies it there in in verse 13 where he says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Well, James has already talked to us about hardships. He told us about them in the first chapter. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So he's already talked about that so what he's saying is this is how you do it you go to god you spend time with god that's what prayer is it's cultivating that relationship with god in your life that is how you can consider it pure joy when you have the holy spirit saying look i know this is hard right now but look at what i'm doing in you when you gather together and you worship you can lift your eyes out of your today and see what god is doing down the road that's what prayer and thanksgiving does but the thing that i found so frustrating about this chapter The thing that puzzled me so much, and this is what I ended up getting fixated on so much as I was preparing for this, was actually the way that James ends this chapter. Because he's not just ending the chapter, he's ending the book. And you know, normally if you're writing a book, or if you're writing a speech, or a sermon even, or a letter to someone, normally you want to use those last few sentences to really drive home your point. You know, you really kind of want to recap everything you've talked about it. You want to use that as your final moment, the thing that people are going to remember, the thing that's going to, you know, they're going to carry on through and how they're going to recognize this, why this is your last moment to really hit home. But instead, James ends with these two verses, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is the statement James chooses to end his book on. And don't get me wrong, it's not a bad verse. It's a great verse, and it's a great thing to remember, and it's a great point. And if it had been anywhere else in the book of James, I wouldn't even thought twice about it. If it had been halfway through chapter two or at the end of chapter three or wherever, I would have just read through it going, Yep, that's a great point. Thanks for reminding me about that, James, and carried on. But instead, after five chapters of hard-hitting truth, after five chapters of James preaching at us, going at us, giving us one-liners like, consider it pure joy when you face many trials you know god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective these one-liners this james has been going at it and yet randomly he pulls this he hasn't talked about this before in the whole book and randomly out of nowhere he brings us this thought about you know making sure that those who are wandering get brought back i'm like this is how you want to end your book james I even did some Googling and thought, maybe this is not actually the end of the book. Maybe there's a James part two that got lost somewhere, you know, and there's actually only halfway through. But no, this is how he lands it. Full stop, booked, closed. And so I was reading over it, and I was praying about it, and I was going, Lord, I would love a revelation into this, because I don't quite understand it. God, if there's something you can give me about that, I would really appreciate it. And I don't think he gave me full revelation, but there was something that suddenly jumped out to me that hadn't... Before as I read over it and I prayed over it. And it was the phrase that James uses right at the start of verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters. My dear brothers and sisters. As I was reading over this, that suddenly jumped out and it hadn't before. And it made me think, like, James, that's that sounds awfully familiar. I feel like you've used that phrase before. So I went back through the book, read through every verse, all five chapters. And out of this five chapter book, James uses this phrase, my dear brothers and sisters, or some variation of it, 14 times that I could count. 14 times in a five chapter book. And then after a bit more research, I realized the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he used this phrase, my dear brothers and sisters, eight times, I think, throughout his whole work. Yet James uses it 14 times in one book, and five of those times happened to be right in this last chapter, in chapter 5. And so it made me realize James is speaking to his family. James is speaking to those he holds dear, the people he considers close to his heart, his brothers and sisters. And so no wonder he's so hard-hitting. No wonder he's so direct. No wonder his words are so sharp, because he's speaking to people he loves. And he's saying, I love you too much to let you continue living the way you're living. I love you enough that I want to give you the truth even when it hurts. I want to give you the truth even though you might not want to hear it. That's how you know someone loves you. When someone has the guts to tell you something you don't want to hear, but you know you need to hear it. He's speaking to his family. And it's one of the most amazing things that Jesus did on his time on earth. And what he set up is that wherever his followers go, wherever they're dispersed across the world and wherever they gather together, they create families there. They create families there. And I know I can go to any part of the world now, regardless of my skin color, regardless of the language I speak, what nationality I am, I can go to any part of the world, walk into a church and have a family there. I can walk in there and have a family, have people who will love me and accept me and find belonging. And people love to criticize the church and to pick holes in it and to nitpick. But remember, we're a family. That is what he came to establish. Yes, it makes mistakes. Yes, it's not perfect, but no family is. It's not just some institution or some organization. It's a family. And this is what James is wanting, I think, to end his book on. He loves his people. He loves his church. And so he ends his book with this statement, challenging us, look out for each other, help each other, build each other up. We're all on this journey together. It's not just about me and my life and what I can get out of it and what it's all about me. It's about the people around me also. My faith is not just there for me, but it needs to impact the people in my life. He's trying to remind his family about the way they need to operate, what a loving community needs to look like, not just for their sake, but for the sake of those yet to join. The sake of those who are yet to join. He says, my faith must change the way I act so that when people look at my life, They'll see Jesus. When they look at my life, when they look at the way I talk, the way I act, they will see Jesus. And this is the way a loving community needs to look like so that when people who are looking at our lives and they're seeing Jesus, they're going, There's something different on you. Why do you talk the way you talk? Why do you act the way you act? and they start to have a conversation with you about the, you know, you give them a pathway book, they start getting curious, you can then bring them into this environment where there's a family, and they can be loved and accepted and find belonging, but hopefully through that, then have an encounter with God that'll change their life. This is what James is wanting to end his book on, that we don't just do faith, we're a people of faith. That we don't just do church, but we are the church. We be the church. We've been saying recently, we're not just a church that does mission. We're a church on mission. It's all about Jesus and people coming to know him. This is what James is wanting to end his statement on. That the reason our faith needs to manifest itself, the reason we need to watch what we say, the reason we need to act a particular way, The reason he's so hard hitting and so direct and his words are so sharp is because it's all for the people who don't yet know Jesus. It's all for those yet to have an encounter with him, that we're all on mission, that we all have to have a faith that works. And I think that's maybe what he's saying. Might not be the full revelation, but that's something God spoke to me throughout all, that we're all on mission. We're a family. Let's use our words to build the family up, not tear it down. Let's use our actions to reflect the family well, so that when we're out in the world, when we're out in the marketplace, the people will go, man, your family must be awesome. If you act this way, if you talk this way, your family must be amazing. A faith that works. So that's been the book of James. Hopefully you've managed to receive something out of these last five weeks. The panel can come and join me now. We're going to go into our panel for the last time of the book of James, and then we'll carry on.
1: Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, well welcome to Life Talk panel. Uh, we've got a few extra people here tonight than, uh, than normal, so I guess that means everybody has to cut what they say down by about half, <laughs> all right? So, um, but uh, these guys have all spoken into our series on James, uh, so we've invited them all back to speak again. Yes, it was really cool. So, Julia and Bryden and Jeremiah and Jono and Simon and I'm Dave. Um, I've got a few questions that we've, we've got to talk about, but I want to s- sit, first of all, in this whole idea that you just brought at the end, with family. Because mm. as you were speaking, I was thinking, man, the Bible talks about us and our, our role and our function in, in different ways. But sometimes it talks about us as soldiers in an army. And sometimes it talks about our, our servanthood and our, our service and that sort of thing. But family is really the big mm. theme. Mm. So what differences is, does that make in the way then we have to treat each other if we're family, or should make? Mm. Like, le- can we sit in there, you gave us some of it, can we talk about that a little bit longer? Well, how, how do I treat you differently then, mm. if I'm not just alongside you as a worker, mm. and I'm not just alongside yep. you as a soldier, totally. but I'm alongside you as yep. a brother, yep. well, what difference does that make?
0: Yeah, well I think like instantly when you have a, the family, I mean, it, it, one, one, it's always hard, because actually everyone's natural families are different too. Yeah. Like I was lucky, I grew up with a great family, but other people may not have had that same experience. So that automatically a- you know, adds some tension in y- the way you think about it. But a loving family, what, should, what it should be defined by is that we have each other's back, you know, that we're actually spurring each other on, which is what James was really talking about in those last two verses, saying, look, if you notice someone start to go astray, have the guts to go and talk to them. Right. You know, love them enough to have a hard conversation mm-hmm. and to chat with them. And I think that's what a family does. Whereas if, you're just a co- if we're purely in this for professionalism, mm-hmm. then actually what you do doesn't affect me as much. Or the way that you live your life doesn't affect me as much. And if you go off the wrong way, well, it doesn't matter. You're not my problem. But a family looks out for each other. Family loves each other mm-hmm. um, and wants the best for each other. Yeah. It,
2: it, can be re- it can be really hard um, being a family, though, because families, I don't know about you, but me and my siblings sometimes disagreed occasionally um, and we just shook hands and it was fine. right? <laughs> but, we, but we don't. Sometimes we do strongly disagree and it's unpleasant and yeah. those conversations are actually often really hard to have because I care so deeply about them that I don't actually want to offend them or create a division between us. But like John said, it is having each other's backs. I remember sitting in the car one time, I was having a rough week, and my brothers just turned around to me one time and said, whatever it is, um, Jeremiah, you know your fight is our fight.
3: Mm. And
2: it's like, no matter what, they had my back. Whenever it came to the end of it, if there was ever going to be a shortfall, if I was ever in trouble with something, well, I've got three little big brothers and a little sister who would turn up like that if I needed them to. Yeah. Mm. And it, I mm. think that's it. It's an all-in, no matter what it takes, yeah. we'll be there. And yeah. if it's, if that's the church, then what does it mean to, to turn up and fill the gap? I don't just come and, oh, man, I see someone sitting on their own. Well, I will go, and mm. I will meet that person. I won't just wait for someone else who's already been uh, asked to do it or got a T-shirt on, but I will do whatever it takes so that someone... Will feel mm. accepted and mm. belonging here because I'm all in and I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think uh, the treating each other like a family almost means we're more likely to have disagreements than if we treat each other as yeah, yeah, yeah. soldiers <laughs> or co-workers. But I, a really huge difference has got to be that if a soldier messes up, right, they can be court-martialed or just sent to the front lines yeah. to die, basically, <laughs> right? <laughs> or a co- if, a co- if, a, if an employee messes up, right, they yeah, just they be can fired. be fired. Yeah, yeah, true. Whereas family. Surely the aim is always restoration, mm. right. yeah. of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever those mess ups, mm. which that will happen, totally. happen. Mm. Um, okay, here's a question: uh, How do I move from a faith that just says or thinks to a faith that works? So we've been talking about James. This is James's mission: is you've got to do something. So how do we take steps from get to get from an intellectual mm. or sp- faith to a work mm. f- mm. not a work based faith, but a faith yeah, that yeah, works?
0: Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and I think that's what James is trying to stress, is that it isn't a works-based faith, no. but that out of, your, out of your faith, out of that transformation, you should, be, you should, it should flow naturally. Like, this is the way you, you live. But sometimes I think we've also got to just, we, we know the way, sometimes we do have to fake it. Like, not fake it, but like, sometimes if we're not having a good day, We've just got a gotta i di- I'm diving from the question.
1: What's the extra question? <laughs> how do I move how do I move from, My from of of this just way? <laughs> Cecil thinks. Yeah, right. I've got a faith I understand yeah. understand to I'm doing something with it. Mm. How do we get what's the steps? Can,
4: can I, I I think maybe it's a vulnerability before God as well. Like James talks about persevering in trials and, and continuing to, to show up and go as you as you go through tough stuff that your faith gets deeper and it gets more real and it's out of that place of of healing and of wholeness, that they actually becomes something that is solid and dependable, that you're like, man, I, you know, you've walked through some things and you're like, I can't deny that God wasn't wasn't in that, and yeah, I don't know, maybe you guys can kind of add to that thought, but I think that, that thinking of as you've walked through those things, as you've stuck with it, you've seen God prove himself, his faithfulness in your life, and that that is so real and so evident that that kind of, mm. it develops something different within you, it develops that maturity that I think, you know, they're talking about.
3: But where does that, so the question is, how does that become outworked in, so that's kind of the first half, right, and then how does that actually become something, but I think, yeah, it's like you you're both saying, it's kind of the wrong question, because, um, not the wrong question, but in terms of like when we're so hungry and desperate for for God, um, it has to flow out of us. Mm, mm. Um like Jeremiah the prophet, um in the Bible. <laughs> no, yeah. no, but maybe uh he's you know, he said it burns within me. I cannot keep it in. Mm, mm. Yeah. And I, I think to the times in my life where I've been um kind of in this place where I can't keep it in, uh it was like a hunger that can be cultivated, yep. I think. Um, yep. And the more time you spend carving out time, not time, like not measuring time, but the time you spend, um, and we talked about prayer and carving out that time, that is your relationship with God, I mm. think, mm. the more it just comes yep. out and yep. you can't keep yeah, it. Yeah,
0: and, it, in. and it, should, it should. It should come out of that overflow. But I think sometimes as well, we still actually have to make a conscious effort to, to actually act on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. so for example, I know for me, um, I, you know, spending time with God, let's, let's take giving, for example, you know, I spent heaps of time with God, right. I still had to actually go, oh, I still got to do it, you know, like, even though I might initially didn't want to, yeah. but then once I did it, and I, it became a habit, and I, then I suddenly saw God move through it, then that becomes a revelation that I can then live with, because it's like, actually, now I've acted it out, and I've understood firsthand, I, it's not just what I think about giving, now I've actually done it, and it's working in my life. So it's like it's coming out of that, but I think it's there are some things we still just have to do them as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So, but once you've you've got this place, sorry, Simon, do you want to go? Oh, sorry, man. Are you sure. Okay. Um, but but <laughs> once you, you've, you're in this place of so I want to do more, and there's the, the things that I just do, but I think a, a really important part is to then ask the question, what else can I do? Mm. You know, in the church, it's where else can I serve? Where else is there a hole? Because we might not always see the whole picture, and I think in a family, you might have your. Jobs or you're rostered on roles or things that you just do, but it's so much more helpful when you go, Is there something else I could do? Where else could I help? And if you're prepared to have someone else speak to you and go, Hey, we would love you to fill this role or this position, and we're actually prepared to be positioned in a place that is needed, then that will help. Try to take it and move on, is bro. Okay. <laughs>
5: that was really good. What I'm saying is actually, what I wanted to say before, and what I've been trying to butt in, is that it's almost what Jill spoke to it, you spoke on it, you spoke on it, you spoke on it, is that times we can actually just ask God to show us what we need to do to outwork our faith. I think that's a really powerful thing, and you can do that in prayer. You can say, okay, Lord, before I walk out of the house this morning, what is it that, like, show me. Mm. Show me something that mm. I can do to yeah, outwork cool. my faith in some way, shape, or form, mm, mm. and then just just doing that daily will begin to sort of build, as Brian said, build that sort of that relationship and and build that, and so that you start to notice those things more and more and more and more. Mm. Um, Julie, you talked about going through
1: stuff and getting a revelation, therefore, of the faithfulness of God. Mm. I wonder, either you can speak into that or just anyone, have there been moments then that you've had a fresh revelation of God through something that has then changed how you can walk out your faith? I mean, you've sort of talked about it with giving. Um, but do you understand that question? So, what 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 does God revealed to you about who He is? Faithfulness, for example. How does that change how you walk out and actually work out your faith?
4: Mm-hmm. Um, Thinking on the spot now, but I, th- I think even you know, Friday we had um, the funeral of, of Jenny Peterson who passed away, and and just I man, even just looking at her journey of walking with with cancer and finding out she was terminal, and then. Um, hearing the thing that she wrote at her funeral that she was so certain about her faith and and so certain in um, the the peace that god had given her and that promise around eternity and and I mean that wasn't my journey but I was definitely like uh, impacted by the way that she had walked through that trial and she had considered it joy she had found a peace in a in a profound right. sense of of the wow. eternal perspective of, of her faith in a way that was just amazing. Yeah. It was amazing to sit in a funeral that there was so much hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, th- yeah.
5: I think those are special moments as well because yeah. I certainly know that there's people been in my life that I look at the, the way that they've gone through whatever it may be, if it's a, a hard time or whatever, and you it really like sort of reframes how you look at things. Yeah. It's like, man, that person, like as you said, like she went through, you know, some awful cancer and that sort of thing. But it kind of reshapes. It's like, actually, I should be focusing on that instead of that. And like, you know, I shouldn't be, you know, getting caught up in the newest, latest iPhone or whatever it may be. It's like I've got a, I've got a bigger purpose to live here, sort of thing.
3: It's a pretty exciting place when uh, trials and and things like that they force you into God. Um, mm. I remember Carl telling me once that. About, um, I think it's, uh, I can't remember the book, but uh, he prophesies about how the children of Israel, when they went through the desert, they were forced so strongly to rely on God. Yeah. Um, but as soon as they reached the promised land, they grew, grew lazy mm. And, mm. and forgot about God. And right. uh, I think for me, uh, I just think practically moments where uh, like money's been really tight or something. Mm. And it's actually been really exciting. Mm. Um, I, re- I remember, like, taping on my phone, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And it's like, cool, God, like, how is it going to look right. this yeah. week? Like, yeah. what does that look like? Mm, mm. I don't know, but I know you're my father, mm, and somehow mm. it's going to yeah. work.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, just to add a, one more practical example as well, I know for me growing up, um, you know, I grew up in a Christian family, which is awesome, um, and then went to school and didn't have any friends because I was a Christian. Um, you know because I'd tell everybody so I had had no friends basically for most of my primary school years um, to then growing up leaving that environment to in a place now where I feel like I've got too many friends I don't know with, what to do with um, I, can s- I can stop being a friend yeah and so like and like but, but what it is is for me was like not to not to say that in a bragging way but like just seeing the faithfulness of God in that like <laughs> come on guys re- <laughs> receive okay okay <laughs>
5: I'm sorry, dude. You walked right into that one. <laughs> right, fair,
0: fair, fair. Trying to be vulnerable yeah. with, you know.
5: <laughs> we love you. We yeah, really him. do.
0: Um, but having to go through that of, of six years of being bullied, physically, verbally abused because, of, because I was a Christian, yeah. not because of any other reason, but because I was a Christian and going through that, having, having really God as my only real friend um, and then coming to the other side of that now and seeing him not only replace what I didn't have but also seeing Him work in me now that I know that my value is not in other people. Yeah. I know what it is to trust God because that's where I got my value, was going to church. As talking about church as a family, that was my family because my family went there. And so it's like that for me, I, know, I value the church so much because that got me through those years as a young kid having to walk through that, walk through loneliness. But I have a fresh perspective now on what it means to rely on God and have my confidence in Him.
1: That's cool. And I think it's cool that we've come all the way back to the beginning Consider it pure joy. Mm. My brothers, when you yeah. face trials of any kind, that's really cool. Hey, thanks, team. I'll hand back to you, Yeah. John Owen.
3: Awesome. Do
0: you want to stand as the band comes back to join? We're going to go back into another song now, and so we just want to give you an opportunity to uh, respond in any way that you would like, whether you'd like to come down the front or just um, in your seat, whatever that looks like for you. But to ask God to give you that fresh perspective, man, how do I live a faith that works? How do I live a faith that's on mission? How do I live a faith that impacts the way I live, the way I act, and the way I speak? So Father, we just thank you for your amazing love for us. That you don't leave us on our own, but you provide us with your Holy Spirit to help us through any trial. You don't leave us on your own, that we can, you have that relationship with us that we can say, I consider it joy even when I'm in the midst of a storm, even when life is not going my way, I have that eternal hope in you. So Father, I ask as we sing this song that you would refresh that perspective for us. God, maybe even prompt us, show us areas in our life where we need to activate our faith again. Maybe it's in our workplace, in our university, wherever that may be. God, would you show us things, would you open doors in our world Give us the courage to step through them. In your mighty name we pray.